The crisp autumn air clung to the ancient trees as I ventured into the heart of the park's Native American burial grounds. The rumors of a mysterious artifact had been circulating for weeks, and I, Park Ranger Mark, couldn't ignore the pull of curiosity any longer. I knew the significance of this sacred site and the importance of treading lightly, but my passion for uncovering history outweighed any trepidation. I arrived at the burial grounds with caution, the weight of responsibility pressing down on my shoulders. As I approached the designated area, I spotted a group of archaeologists carefully excavating the site. Among them was Dr. Sarah Brooks, a renowned archaeologist with a keen interest in Native American history. She was known for her respect for ancient cultures and her meticulous approach to research. Mark, I'm glad you're here, Sarah called out with a warm smile as I approached. I nodded, feeling a mixture of excitement and apprehension. Together we gathered around the site, and Sarah carefully lifted a cloth-covered object from the earth. The artifact was unlike anything I had ever seen, a small, ornately carved figurine that seemed to exude an aura of ancient power. As the artifact was brought into the light, an eerie silence fell over the burial grounds. A sudden gust of wind rustled the leaves, and the air seemed charged with an otherworldly energy. Unexplained phenomena soon followed. Strange shadows flickered among the trees, whispers echoed through the air, and the temperature fluctuated dramatically. Sarah and I exchanged a knowing glance, realizing that we had awakened something dormant and powerful. The ancient spirit of the burial grounds had been disturbed, and it was not pleased. Mark, we must proceed with caution, Sarah said, her voice tinged with concern. This artifact holds immense significance to the ancient inhabitants of this land. We must respect their wishes and find a way to appease the spirit. I nodded in agreement, realizing that we were now embroiled in a quest to protect not just the artifact, but also the sanctity of the burial grounds. We had to find a way to restore the balance and harmony that had been disrupted. As the days passed, Sarah and I delved deep into research studying the history and legends of the Native American tribes that once thrived in the area. We sought guidance from tribal elders and spiritual leaders, learning the rituals and offerings that might appease the vengeful spirit. With each passing night, the unexplained phenomena intensified, and the ancient spirit made its presence known. Shadows danced along the edges of our vision, and the sound of distant drums echoed through the woods. It was clear that the spirit's wrath was growing and time was running out. Determined to put things right, Sarah and I performed the sacred rituals under the guidance of the tribal elders. We offered sincere prayers and humble offerings, hoping to show our respect for the land and its ancient protectors. Yet, even as we attempted to make amends, the spirit's anger seemed unyielding. It became evident that appeasement was not enough. We needed to understand the spirit's grievances and seek reconciliations and seek reconciliation on a deeper level. With the guidance of a wise tribal elder, we journeyed deep into the burial grounds where the ancient spirit had dwelled for centuries. There, in the heart of the sacred site, we experienced visions, glimpses into the past and the spirit's pain. Through these visions, we discovered that the artifact had been taken from its rightful place many generations ago, and the ancient spirit had been guarding the burial grounds in its absence. 
It longed for the artifact's return, as it held a crucial part of the tribe's history and spiritual identity. Realizing the significance of the artifact, we made the decision to return it to its rightful place within the burial grounds. With utmost reverence, we laid the figurine back where it had been discovered, and the moment we did, a profound stillness fell over the area. The unexplained phenomena ceased, and the ancient spirit's anger subsided. It was as if a sense of peace had been restored to the sacred land. Sarah and I stood in awe, humbled by the experience and the connection we had forged with the past. We knew that our actions had not only saved the park from the spirit's wrath, but had also honored the ancient tribe and its traditions. In the following weeks, the burial grounds exuded a sense of tranquility, and visitors felt a renewed reverence for the sacred site. Sarah and I continued our research now with a deeper understanding of the park's history and the importance of preserving its cultural heritage. As the seasons changed and time marched forward, the memory of that profound encounter remained etched in our hearts. We knew that we had not just protected the park, but had also become guardians of its rich legacy, a legacy that would continue to inspire and educate generations to come. Well, both my friend and I live closer to Middletown, Ohio. There was another encounter I had shortly after I'd sent the email, and I kept forgetting that I hadn't sent it. I had walked out of my room to wash my face, try and calm myself down, etc., and my brother's room is directly across the hall from mine. I looked straight ahead, and it was looking right through the window of his room. That's the picture I had sent. I stared at it for a while, feeling kind of cold and then feeling really scared, and I finally pulled my eyes away, and I finally pulled my eyes away and went about my business. When I came out of my bathroom, I didn't look in the direction of his room. My friend reported that what she saw had more oblique-shaped eyes and looked kind of angry. I wasn't too sure about that hypothesis, while mine had large, round eyes and seemed kind of curious or something. Sorry, I didn't include that in the original message. Like I said, this happened after I sent the email, and I keep assuming I had included it when I had included it when I hadn't. Other than the weird sightings, there wasn't any strange activity I can recall. I have a story to tell, but you might not believe me. I was working as a ranger in a small state park in California. It was late September, and the number of hikers was dwindling. I was patrolling the trails, checking on things, and making sure everything was safe. During lunchtime, I sat down in an open field to eat my favorite tuna sandwich. Suddenly, I froze with a bite still in my mouth when I saw two dark eyes moving between trees to my right. I saw something large watching me, and then I heard branches and twigs snapping. It was trying to evade being seen. Then I heard deep breaths, almost like heavy panting or wheezing. I got up and left immediately, but it followed me, moving briskly through the trees. I picked up my pace, but everything around me fell quiet, and I began to feel very uncomfortable. I think it followed me for a couple of miles before finally stopping. To this day, I have no way to account for what it was that I saw, and I don't want to think about it. Ever since I can remember, my cabin nestled in the heart of western Pennsylvania has been a vortex of odd occurrences. Though scattered neighbors punctuate the landscape, for the most part the place is secluded, 
swathed by vast expanses of deep woods. Over the years, peculiar happenings have become the norm, adding an intriguing, if slightly unnerving, backdrop to my cabin life. There's the neighbor who is bizarrely convinced that a Canadian invasion is imminent. He's resorted to stashing away secret caches of weapons and food throughout the forest, preparing for a standoff that, to everyone else's knowledge, will never come. Then there's the unhinged man who constructed a watchtower over his own house, using it as a vantage point for his disturbing deeds. He killed his wife in cold blood, attempted to erase his ghastly act by setting her body aflame. The morbid spectacle of it all left an indelible stain on the otherwise tranquil woods. Bigfoot sightings are part of the lore around here, too. It may seem unbelievable, but once you're here in these isolated, sometimes eerie woods, it somehow doesn't seem so far-fetched. I remember one twilight evening, sitting on the porch nursing a warm cup of coffee. A rustling from the dense thicket made me sit up. Peering into the near darkness, I discerned a massive silhouette, bipedal, shaggy, and decidedly non-human. It moved with a lumbering grace that was strangely hypnotic. Our eyes locked for a breathless moment before it melted back into the forest. That sighting forever blurred the line between myth and reality for me. We even have a local witch who's rumored to reside in the vicinity. She's rarely seen, but every now and then, someone will claim to have caught sight of her on a road aptly named Hexy Road. Whether she's real or a figment of collective imagination, she adds another layer to the tapestry of our peculiar locale. At night, mysterious crying often pierces the otherwise tranquil woodland soundscape. I tend to chalk it up to mountain lions, though I've never actually laid eyes on one here. Finally, the cabin's sinister history is rounded off with another murder over a love triangle gone terribly wrong. It's the kind of incident that would make headlines in a big city. But here it just adds to the peculiar charm of the place. Despite the unnerving chain of events, there is something about the cabin that holds me captive. The allure of the isolation, the beauty of the wilderness, and even the strange happenings all combine into a curious charm. However, I must admit the eerie ambience has kept me from hunting in these woods for the past five years. Who knows what one might encounter in the eerie silence of western Pennsylvania forest. This one starts in a local park around a year ago. For context, this park, although in a nice suburban area, is supposedly notorious for being rough. However, in my countless hours walking there, this is the only vaguely scary experience I've had. I have never felt anything but comfortable otherwise. I was standing by an entrance to the park maybe 20 inside of it, at 2 a.m. in the morning. It was pitch black. I couldn't see a few feet in the front of me. The only light is the faint twinkle of streetlights beyond the far side of the park. As I'm standing there, earphones in with music as always, I could have sworn I saw some movement in the distance. I squint my eyes and focus on a spot on the far side, trying to make out what I noticed for maybe 10 seconds. At this point, I realize I'm not looking into the distance. I'm looking directly at someone a mere ten or so feet in front of me. I shit you not, that feeling of realization is the single most powerful thing I have ever felt in my life. Felt like I was in a horror movie. Heart racing, 
I turn around and book it to the entrance behind me and start walking down the street towards my home. I'm fairly shaken up, but you know, there's nothing to indicate the guy had any sinister intentions or even knew I was there. Could have been doing the same thing as me. I'm now under the streetlights walking past some well-off houses, which felt like safety to me. However, I then turned around and saw a hooded man, a stereotypical road man as we would call them, emerge from the same entrance as me and turn my direction. He was around the same distance I would have expected had me started leaving the same time as me. Around ten, fifteen feet behind me. Again, nothing sinister, probably, I thought. But just to be careful, I picked up the pace a bit. This street is around two hundred feet before it merges with a main road. After around halfway, I turned around and see this guy is directly behind me, ten feet, as he was earlier. I think to myself, well, that's weird. I'm walking pretty fast, and this guy is kept up. So now I start to walk as fast as I possibly can without breaking out into a run. I specifically remember going as fast as a walk would allow me to. I maintain this for another 100-odd feet until I get to the main road. Then I turn around and this guy is literally five feet behind me. He is closer than he was before I sped up rapidly. Borderline pants-shitting moment. I full-on ran all the way home, barefoot in sliders, by the way, without looking behind me until I got to my front door, and that was that. Never saw him again. Could be a coincidence. Sure. Maybe I happened upon a 2 a.m. power walker. But also maybe I almost got robbed. I don't know. If I had... If I had, it would be in a different subreddit. LOL. Thanks for reading if you did. I have more stories too, but I've been writing these for an hour or two and my eyes hurt. For the amount of time I've spent out in the dark. Most of which is in the woods. I have surprisingly few stories. Got a few potentially paranormal ones, too. But they aren't allowed here. Consider myself kinda lucky, to be honest. Think I was tempting fate for quite some time. I went hiking in a national park and there were signs of mountain lions in the area that would be eating in the trees, so there would be eating in the trees, so there would be a sign that cautions dead animal parts dropping from the trees. I was at a turn and... Oh my God, a tree covered in blood and I hear some kind of whining, shrieking from above. I was terrified, and I saw the mountain lion slowly killing some kind of deer or elk. I kept eye contact and backed off slowly. I never had adrenaline in a cold flop sweat so fast in my life. I never heard a deer or elk shrieking like that. I was carrying my Ruger 10-22 rifle, and I thought about killing the deer-slash-elk to ease its pain, but messing with a mountain lion is not a good thing. I saw some hikers going back and told them that the trail is dangerous and told a ranger of what happened. I still hear screams. One time when I was in Utah, near Vegas, a couple in their forties, fifties pulled over and asked me where I was going. I said that I wanted to see Los Angeles and they said they were heading that way. I had been up for a long time at that point, so I fell asleep in the back, and when I woke up, the guy was lurched over me without a shirt on mumbling something. I kicked him to the other side of their car to get him off, and he stared at me all shocked. We were stopped on the side of the road, so I opened the door and rolled out. I felt groggy as F, and they took off with all of my stuff was still in their trunk. I still have no idea what was going on. 
come to find I was only a few dozen miles from the border and about 40 miles from the nearest town, way off from where they said they were heading. I'm pretty sure they were heading. I'm pretty sure they were going to kill me because I felt like I had been drugged for hours after they left. Luckily, some native people rolled up on me and helped me out. Those guys knew how to party. I never went to the cops. The last few months living in my old apartment were absolute hell. It started with what, on the surface, seems a funny story. My ex had just left for work, and as I headed back into my room to sit at the computer, the shade from my ceiling light literally flew across the room and hit me in the shoulder. It's not something I could easily explain, given that it's one of the ones you need to actually screw the light bulb into to make it fit, and the bulb hadn't budged. Nor were there any windows open. Not that that would have been enough to make it travel the distance that it did. That turned out to be the first of an increasing number of experiences over a period of five or six months. The worst of which was probably while lying in bed and hearing a guttural growl from the foot of my bed. My ex and I both turned to each other and said, Please tell me that was you. I've never felt a constant existential dread 24-7 like I did for those few months and ultimately prompted me to move the F out. When I was younger, about 810, I went to Nicaragua. It was a trip with my dad and sisters. We flew into Managua International Airport from Miami and were picked up by some family friends in the afternoon. My grandparents lived in Rama, so we had a four-hour drive ahead of us. We were an ASUV that looked kind of like a Bronco, but I'm not sure if it was. In the front seat, we had the driver, my sister and myself. I was near the window. Then my dad was in the back with a few of his brothers and our cousins, catching up and planning the upcoming days. Aside, my sister and I viably remember looking over at the driver and the keys fell out of the ignition. He chuckled and kept driving. We were terrified. Now the road to Rama, during this time at least, was horrible. It was raw dirt and rocky, proving to be a very bumpy ride. Not to mention you were enclosed by jungle on each side and it wasn't lit at all. It was getting darker outside and I had one of my hands out the window, playing with the passing air. We went so close to the edge of the road, to where I could grab the leaves, but close enough that I could see about a foot or two into the thickness of the jungle. I was playing around with the air kind of zoning out, when all of a sudden a gnarled, clawed hand reaches for me and almost touches me. I felt the heat coming off of the hand. I knew it was real. My sister was also dozing off, but she saw me pull my hand away. As any eight, ten-year-old girl would, I started screaming and crying. My dad tried to figure out what was wrong if I was hurt and started calming me down. I told him what I saw and felt, and you could see the concern on his face. The others in the back of the Bronco grew quiet, except for one person who mentioned Lamona. Lamona means monkey woman in Spanish, but it didn't look like a monkey hand to me. No one said anything else to us for the rest of the ride. They quietly spoke amongst themselves. My sister switched seats with me and rolled up the window so that a small stream of air could pass through. My dad didn't mention anything when we got to my grandparents' place. But I told my grandma about it. After feeding us quite a bit, she told me my dad had a run-in with monkeys outside their house when he was younger. 
I ended up getting really sick the next day, something similar to food poisoning, and was miserable for the rest of the trip. When we got back home to Miami, I told my mom about it and she and my grandmother. On my mom's side, recounted a story about my mom seeing Lamona when she was younger. My grandma was working late and so my mom was looking after her three brothers. My grandpa was out drinking with his friends as always. My mom and uncles were watching TV when something heavy hit the roof and started running around. When it jumped to the ground outside, they felt the floor shake. It pounded and pounded on the door trying to get in. Then my mom saw a set of claws come under the door as if it was trying to rip the tin door open. My grandpa and friends had come home and seen what was happening. He grabbed his shotgun and they chased it back into the jungle. A next-door neighbor went running to my grandma's bakery and told her what happened. They both came back to check on the kids. My grandma believes Lamona was looking for my grandpa. I'm not sure why, though. Most of my life, mostly childhood, I've seen gray humanoids, about the size of an adult person, that live exclusively on the ceilings of buildings. I used to call them heights because when I was afraid to go on the top bunk or have a shoulder ride indoors, people said I must be afraid of heights. I was like three when I started calling them that, and just never bothered to rethink it. Nowadays, knowing that there are people who study beings like that, I'm interested to know if anyone has seen them other than me. I started seeing them in rural Tennessee, then rural Idaho when we moved, but stopped seeing them as much when I moved to the city. But I'm sure if I cared to look, I'd still see them occasionally to this day, as there's a very particular calming energy they bring about. I do want to note that even though I was initially afraid of them as a kid, I very quickly found that the heights were not malicious at all. Lost objects would show up in the tops of cupboards. My hair would be pushed out of my face at night by cold hands, etc. It was more like they were just there, watching, taking care of me. They're completely grey, humanoid, and either have very vague facial features or none at all. Long fingers, perpetually freezing cold, and as I said before, very gentle and kind. No one I've ever talked to has seen these, but I know that the things moved or found to be higher up than any of my siblings could reach were all also seen by my family. Does this ring a bell for anything? Or am I overthinking a simple childhood friend? A number of years ago, my grandparents lived near a town in eastern Washington called Okanogan. They owned a small ranch above the town on top of a small mountain about a 15-minute drive from downtown. They owned 100 acres of land. My sister, cousin and I would spend about a month during summer vacation out there, helping out and, of course, doing some exploring. They only had a few neighbors that were down the road, so it was pretty secluded. Anyways, there was an old circular hut on about an acre of land, pretty much right next to their fence line. Ever since I could remember the place had been up for sale, the guy that used to live there got hauled off to prison for trying to light the courthouse on fire to burn his criminal records. So we would go look around and walk through the place. Being kids, we did a lot of hiking and exploring throughout the area up there. But for some reason, we never hiked up the small canyon near that house. So we decided to do that one day. I was with my sister, my cousin, and two of our friends, and we started to hike up through the small canyon. 
Once we got to the top, we came to a large area of flat pasture land and a ways off, a small cabin. Walking a little closer, we realized that it was abandoned. No windows, doctor pretty much torn off the hinges, a lot of vegetation growing around the property, and an old abandoned jeep parked near the cabin. We decided to take a closer look. When I walked over to the front door, I peered in to see if there was anything in there and saw that the whole place was filled with junk. I also noticed that there was a small deer carcass that was tangled or wound up in barbed wire hanging from the ceiling, completely vertical with its rear end facing upward. The barbed wire looked old and rusty. I didn't feel like getting too close to the entrance, and it was missing its head. Now, back when this happened, I had just turned 15, so after taking a closer and quick look at it and letting everyone else look, I suggested we get out of there. We left after everyone had their turn looking at the carcass. We never went back up there due to the fact that we didn't know how that had gotten there. Maybe a crazed hermit or something. Our young minds. We never told my grandparents what we saw since they didn't want us wandering too far from their property. They ended up moving few years ago, and since I have my own family now, I hadn't been over there in about five years. Thinking about it now, maybe it was a hunter that had put it there. But then again, why would they use barbed wire to hang the carcass? I have no idea, but that freaked us out back then. One morning, this spring decided to go turkey hunting, up in the Ottawa Valley. That night I stalked a group of turkeys and set up just a bit from their roost. The next morning I hike up into the edge of the woods and get into my ground blind nice and early. It was about 4.30 a.m. when I was all set up and in place. I'm sitting there, and at about 4.40 I hear something creeping towards me in the bush. Keep in mind that it's still pitch black dark. All of a sudden I hear a scream or shriek unlike anything I've ever heard before. My heart starts pounding, and I grip my gun tighter and tighter. It slowly gets closer and closer, continuously letting out this shriek, which sounded half-human. My skin is crawling, and I'm freaking the F out. I spend hours every year in the bush, and I've seen so much, but I have no idea what the F this thing. As I sing, slowly starts to distance itself, and I start to calm down and catch my breath. All of a sudden it starts making its way back towards me again, screaming every five seconds, and I'm literally about to have a heart attack. The turkeys are gobbling every time this thing screamed, and it was getting intense. The thing was 20 yards in front of me and still couldn't see a thing. I was working on an oil rig an hour and a half northwest of College Station. We were drilling on someone's land where we cleared out a spot where the forest was thick. One day, I walking through the mud pits area and under the support beam of the roof, I saw what I thought was a snake. I go and grab our mud collection cup that tied to a long stick as to poke it to get it out of there. It then decided to slither off the support beam and fly around me as I swing furiously as to catch it and find out what the hell it is. It had many legs, kind of like centipede, about three, four feet in length. As I'm swinging at it, one of the cameras was pointing at me. The driller then ran to edge of the rig floor and was asking me, what the hell is that thing? As I turned to see who was yelling at me, the thing took to the sky. We both looked at it until it disappeared into the clouds. I am Micah, 
a Native American police officer hailing from the Apache tribe. Raised as the daughter of a chief leader, the weight of responsibility has always rested heavily on my shoulders. A string of gruesome ritual murders shocked our community, leaving us all in fear and despair. Determined to bring justice and restore peace, I embarked on a relentless pursuit of the truth. With each step, the veil of secrecy unraveled, revealing a connection between the murders and a haunting secret buried within my own family's past. The realization hit me like a thunderbolt. The killings were not random acts of violence, but a twisted manifestation of an ancient vendetta seeking retribution. The predator lurking in the shadows was not a mere mortal, but a malevolent entity, thirsty for revenge. It sought to avenge a betrayal committed by my ancestors, a dark chapter in our bloodline. To protect my community and halt the bloodshed, I had to confront the skeletons of our family's past. In the depths of my soul, I grappled with conflicting emotions, loyalty warring against the truth. The weight of my decisions threatened to tear me apart. In the face of this relentless adversary, I stood firm. Armed with determination and the knowledge passed down through generations, I delved into the heart of our bloodline's dark history. Each step was a test of my resilience. Each step was a test of my resilience. A jagged piece of the puzzle that had tormented us for centuries. As the final pieces fell into place, the truth struck me with its chilling clarity. The predator, driven by its insatiable thirst for vengeance, was closing in on our community. It was up to me to make a fateful choice, one that would challenge my loyalty and shake the foundations of my identity. In the darkest hour, with the fate of my people hanging in the balance, I made my stand. Armed with the knowledge and strength of my ancestors, I confronted the malevolent entity head-on. It was a battle that blurred the line between the physical and the spiritual, where bravery clashed with ancient forces of evil. Through sheer determination, I triumphed. As the dust settled and tranquility began to return to our reservation, I realized that my journey had not only saved my community, but also awakened a deeper understanding of my own identity. The path I had chosen was not an easy one, but it was necessary to heal the wounds of the past and pave the way for a brighter future. I am Micah, a Native American police officer, forever bound to the legacy of my tribe. In the face of adversity, I discovered the strength to confront my own bloodline's dark history, forging a new path built on truth, redemption, and the unwavering spirit of my people. Started the trail much later than anticipated at around 10 a.m. Decent cloud cover 80 degrees in the parking lot to start with lots of people on the trail. Only a few markers in, less and less people, and even fewer clouds. It's getting spicy out. Not even half a mile in. Nobody's near us. Everyone has bailed. Get to the top of a tall dun and confirm there is nobody around. A little further in, and we're at the halfway point, significant other is extremely quiet and raspberry red. I brought two gallons of water for both of us, and she had hers. Both of us with long, thin and loose clothing, wide-brimmed hats. Despite our preparedness, we decide to turn around. Shortly into our return, we run into a human-sized Slim Jim. I mean, this dude is crispy. Baseball cap, cargo shorts, and a short-sleeve polo shirt. No pack, no observable water bottle. 
He is approaching from the bottom of a dune, when the next marker is on top of the dune in front of us. Clearly, he has lost the trail, and just looking at him, I am instantly worried. Use some small talk to get an idea of how long he's been out, how much water he has consumed. Find out he attempted the hike with his wife two years prior, and they weren't able to finish it, and that she recently passed from cancer, and he was going to finish the trail today in her honor. I ask about water, and he has barely touched the 16-ounce water bottle in his pocket. During the small talk, he asked where the next marker is three times it is in front of us at the next dune every time. I ask him to come back with us. He is determined to finish for his wife. He wouldn't be convinced. We watch him walk off incorrectly along the bottom of the dunes for a few minutes, then thankfully joined us on the return. 99% sure he was going to be toast if he kept going on his own.